Hey guys, welcome back to Contest Prep University. I'm Joe Klimzeski with Adam Atkinson. We are in episode two of our PED for male athletes series. And I we're going to talk about, first of all, selecting the compounds. And I, I think probably, Adam, my very first run-in with steroids was as kind of a late teenager, maybe I was 16, 17 years old, already training. And I worked in this, this you know restaurant, as a lot of kids do. And uh, my manager was a guy who was a, you know, kind of an influence in me and in lifting weights and bodybuilding. And at this particular gym we worked at, there was a kid, like a 16 year old who was just jacked to the gills using, using everything. And, and I just, I, I heard, you know, words like, you know, Winstrel V and, you know, these kind of things. And they were, they were getting them from a veterinarian. They were, you know, you know vet type compounds. And then of course, throughout my career, you start hearing about B-ball and just, you know, test and all those kind of things, but it's, it's a wild world right now. I mean, it's way different than it was back in the eighties with people using insulin and growth hormone and so forth. So, so lay it all out on the table. What, what are the options for people? What are they gravitating toward and why? Yeah, there's a lot of options for people to take now. Um, you know, medications have came further. Um, you know, some of these drugs are created um, not really necessarily for medical purposes now. So you've got more designer type steroids coming out. Um, to simplify that, um, I like to put them in a family tree. You're going to have a DHT group. You're going to have a testosterone group, and then you're going to have a 19-NOR group. Um, I probably won't touch on that as much because um, I want to simplify this as much as possible. But when you're selecting compounds, you know, the user experience is one of the first things to consider. So if you're on your first cycle, typically taking one of the most natural things in your body, testosterone, and getting that up to a super physiological level is probably one of the most basic and important cycles that you can do. Um, what, can, can I interrupt you for a second, Adam, and ask you yeah. in, in just uh, milligrams per, per deciliter or nanograms per deciliter, what, what is that level just for testosterone, cypionate or ethanate or something like that? Yeah. So the esters don't really change the amount. Um, so you could use a propionate that's a little bit faster. You're just injecting it a little bit more often. I'm actually glad you mentioned that. I actually prefer shorter esters for newer athletes because they can make changes to their cycle uh, quickly and easily because they're not as experienced. So they're not locked in to um, something that they don't know doesn't work for them that well. So great question there. And, uh, you know, just in general, like somebody on 150 to 200 milligrams of tests a week might end up in that upper normal range of tests. They might end up eight or 900 milligrams per deciliter. So once you start seeing cycles around 250, you know, some people will say a cruise is 250. That's definitely not a cruise. Um, but you start seeing numbers like 200 or 300 a week on test. That's going to be where you start seeing that upper limit. So now what we have to worry about is when that test is in an elevated level, um, it aromatizes estrogen. So to balance that, you may need um, an aromatase inhibitor. Um, which I really don't recommend, or you can also add a DHT steroid to stop 
the um, aromatizing of the testosterone, which is much healthier to do in the long run. What is a DHT steroid? So that might be something like Masteron or Primabolin um, are two very popular ones. Um, some people might use Proviron as well because they'll um, stop aromatase a little bit as well. So um, those are great. That's kind of how you create that um, balance, so to speak. Um, one point I want to drive home is... Um, a, a very common mistake people make is they're bringing those testosterone milligrams up very, very high. Um, you know, you sometimes hear people taking 800 a week, but they're also taking a milligram of Arimidex a day. What's actually happening, they don't need 800 milligrams of testosterone. They just finally out um, testosterone, the Arimidex. So now they're aromatizing to estrogen to actually make some gains. So um, they could probably stop at three to 350, pull the aromatase inhibitor out and actually make better gains. Um, you know, a lot of people forget that estrogen is really responsible for connective tissue. Um, uh, and one thing to really watch is your sex drive because if, if estrogen gets too low, you can start having some issues there. So that's one way you can monitor that without at least initial labs. But um, down the road, you want to get labs and kind of see what that androgen to estrogen ratio is. In that that third bucket, you said you look at them in three categories. Was it you say nor 19 or? Yeah, 19 nors. And they usually, um, they usually aromatize and uh, they cause more progesterone type issues. So the 19 nors are usually um, have a high affinity for potential estrogenic or progesterone or um, prolactin, I'm sorry, prolactin issues. Um, so, you know, that's where you could actually get some lactation or something like that. So a lot of things can get us out with this if you don't balance it right. What are the, what are the common forms of those? What are those kind of street names? Yeah, so that would be like Trenbolone, um, NPP, um, or um, it'd be DECA. So those are um, some of your more wet. Well, Trend wouldn't necessarily be a wet compound, but it is a 19 nor. Um, it just binds so darn well. But um, yeah, those are going to be the ones that um, to look out for. And then yeah, you, the biggest, you, you, are oh, how, you are reminding me how much I do not know about this. <laughs> it, it takes some time, you know, and uh, this is something that I've seen a lot of, you know, um, when I moved to Columbus, Ohio, I mean, I was surrounded by um, more non-drug free bodybuilders than I ever had. Um, but what I did find is, as I learn more about this, how um, how much misinformation there is out there about this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, one last thing, just to wrap up this episode, because we're not going to get deep into the biochemistry. We're not going to put a tutorial out there on what to take and how and so forth. Do, do you find information more on like T Nation, places like that, where where there are a lot of people contributing to forums and discussions or, or publishing articles? Yeah, you've got to look for the right people, though. Um, you really do want to look at somebody who is like looking at lab work and they do talk about that. Um, you'll, you'll find a lot of general information there too. And 
and there's nothing wrong with that is maybe using that as a foundational starting point, but make sure you look into your own body, get the labs and adjust the cycle um, to what you need it to be. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode. So hope we see you guys back here next time as we talk about the cycling uh, considerations and theories and practices as, as we even get into you know, deeper health considerations. So we will see you next time in Contest Prep University.